I'm here with you this morning to tell my story. What I'm about to share happened about 2,000 years ago from your perspective. I'm a woman of Samaria. No one's special. No one remembers my name. But over the centuries, literally billions of people scattered across thousands of cultures, tribes, and nations have heard my story. I live in a small village called Sychar. It's about three or four days if you walk north of Jerusalem. I was going about my daily routine. It was midday, and it was very hot. As usual, I headed out to get water for the day. I don't go in the morning when the rest of the women get their water. It would be much easier when it's cooler outside. But you see, I'm not well liked by the people in my village. And they've made it clear that they want nothing to do with me. My walk started out uneventfully. I was focused on keeping my footing on the rugged terrain, lugging such an awkward bucket over the ground. Noticing the grit in my sandals, shading my eyes from the brilliant sun, wiping the droplets of sweat from my brow before they ran down my face and stung my eyes. From a distance, I could see that someone was still at the well. There shouldn't be anybody there at midday. At first, I slowed my pace, hoping they would leave before I got there. I didn't want an unpleasant scene, but I couldn't turn back now. As I got closer, I realized that I did not recognize the man. I briefly thought that he might be a robber, but I didn't have anything of value to steal anyway. Nervously, I approached the well, hoping to quickly get my water and be on my way. I purposely stayed focused on my task and tried not even to make eye contact with this stranger. Imagine my surprise when I heard him ask me for a cup of water. He shouldn't be talking to a woman at all. I I dared to glance at him, and I noticed that he looked like he'd been walking for a long time his feet covered in sand, sweat and dust matting his hair. And he had no cup of his own to drink from. Of course he needed water. But no one ever asked me for help. And most of the time, I had nothing to offer anyway. But today, I did have a bucket, which was more than he had. I also noticed the man's clothing and realized he was Jewish, And this was shocking to me. Usually Jewish people take the long way around to avoid Samaria entirely. You see, Jews and Samaritans have not shared as little as a cup of water together for generations because we are unclean to them. And yet, here he was, far out of his way, asking me for a cup of water. My curiosity got the better of me, and I blurted out, You're a Jewish man. How can you ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? He replied, If you knew God's gift and who I am, you would have asked me for living water, and I would have given it to you. His response was puzzling to me. I said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and where where do you get this living water anyway? This well is our inheritance from Jacob, our ancestor, 
and it has brought life to our village and our flocks for generations. You're not greater than Jacob, are you? He said, Everyone who drinks with this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the living water that I will give will never thirst again. In fact, the water that I give will become a well of fresh water bubbling up for eternity. This was astonishing. I replied, please give me this water so that I will never thirst and never have to come all the way out to this well to draw water again. I began to imagine how much easier my life would be without this exhausting chore to do every single day. I was beginning to enjoy this frivolous thought. Then he said this, Go call your husband and ask him to come here. Well, my fantasy evaporated in an instant, and my heart sank. You see, I have a complicated history I was married to my first husband for a very brief time before he was killed in an accident. His brother stepped in, as is our custom, and became my husband. But I didn't bear any children for him. So after a while, he divorced me. Others married me, and still, no children. I became more and more disheartened and so bitter that nobody wanted to stay with me for long. I couldn't understand why God would, hold the bless- would withhold the blessing of children from me. The people of my village, well, they were quick to tell me that I was to blame for my misfortunes. They told me that I must have sinned and that I must be cursed. In any case, they avoided me more and more. I don't like telling this whole sad story to strangers because the last thing I need to experience is more insults and more rejection. So I've come up with a rehearsed response that I use to answer strangers about my marital status when it's brought up. It would be easier to lie and say I was married and just leave and never see this person again. But I used my line, which was at least partially true. I have no husband. I was hoping that this answer was enough that we did not pry further into my life, but he said, You have told me the truth. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you are with is not your husband. I was stunned. In one sentence, he had laid bare my deepest, darkest pain. I had never felt so vulnerable in my whole life. So many thoughts and feelings flashed within me. And somehow I knew, I just knew, that there was nothing he did not know about me. And somehow, and it still doesn't make sense to me, I felt peace. I heard the gentleness in his tone of voice, I saw the compassion in his soft eyes. This stranger accepted me as I was, with all the complexity of my life, without judging me, without shaming me. Surely he must have been a prophet. Yes, 
That would explain why he knew so much about me. I had so many questions. I didn't know where to start. But if he indeed was a prophet, well, maybe he could settle the question that had divided Jews and Samaritans for so long. At the very least, it would be good to know what side he was on. I said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers have worshipped on this mountain for generations. But you people insist that the only place to worship God is in Jerusalem, which is correct. I was expecting a simple answer, Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem, one or the other. And once again, his answer was unexpected. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here nor in Jerusalem. I have to admit, I was a little frustrated with his apparent willingness to simply answer my question. I thought to myself rather impatiently, well, where then? As though he sensed my question, he elaborated, a time is coming and is even here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father himself is searching for people who are true worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It seemed he still didn't answer my question. I felt a little disappointed and resigned myself to not knowing the answer after all, so I didn't press the subject any further. I said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us everything. And just when I thought he couldn't possibly say anything more astonishing, he said this, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am. Just then, I heard several men approaching. I thought, wait, don't interrupt us. What did he just say? I am. I am? Their voices got louder. I tried to keep my train of thought. I am? That was the name that God revealed himself to Abraham. Is this prophet, this stranger, is he saying that he is the Messiah? Those loud men came closer to the well, and they weren't exactly discreet in their conversation. I knew they were talking about me, wondering why this man was alone with a woman. But they didn't say anything. I didn't know what to do next. I wanted to stay and talk with this stranger. But now there was a crowd of men, and I was just at my wit's end. So I I left my bucket, and I ran back to the village as fast as I could. I ran, my thoughts raised. I am. Is this stranger saying he's the Messiah? I am. He knew everything about me. Of course he would if he's the Messiah. I am. My heart was beating faster and faster, partly because I was running, but also because the truth of who the stranger really was was slowly awakening within me. This truth came bubbling up from deep within my soul, slowly at first. But by the time I reached the village, this truth was just gushing out of me. I ran up to villagers in the middle of the street. Come and see. I ran from person to person, shaking their shoulders. Come and see. Come and see the man who knows everything about me. I ran to anyone I could find. Come and see. This man couldn't be the Messiah, could he? I guess my enthusiasm 
was a little contagious, and my story caused, caused quite a stir because a bunch of the villagers followed me back out to the well to meet the stranger. And it wasn't until I tried to introduce the villagers to him that I realized I didn't even know his name. Jesus, he said. And the villagers invited Jesus to stay with us. And he, as a disciple, stayed for two days. Many believed what I had said about him. But even more believed when he told them who he really was himself. Since that day that I met Jesus, I have had time to reflect on all the things that he said to me. I'll share a couple of insights with you. I admit that I have to laugh at myself a little. I completely missed his living water metaphor. I thought he was speaking literally, and I was confused by what he was saying. But nonetheless, he did offer this living water to me. And even though I was being a bit facetious and only thinking about how that would make my life easier, I did ask for it. And Jesus was faithful, and he fulfilled that promise to me. I've reflected on Jesus' way of being in the world. Here was a man who was completely at ease with being a woman, a Jew who was completely at ease being alone with a Samaritan, and a respected teacher being at ease and alone with a disreputable woman. The usual societal divisions that I experienced every day of my life were not barriers for him. He met me in the place of our common humanity. We were both tired, disheveled, hot, and thirsty from walking in the midday sun, and we both needed a drink. He met me in a moment of his own vulnerability because I had the only bucket with which to draw water. But Jesus transcended gender and cultural barriers and asked an outsider for help. And in light of this theme of Jesus sharing our humanity, his answer to my question about worship makes much more sense. More sense. My question was far too simple, Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. I had assumed a simple polarity. One group is right, the other group is wrong. One group has God's favor, the other does not. It never occurred to me that there could be another possibility. Jesus was not being evasive in his answer to me, as I initially suspected. He did take my question seriously, but his answer transcended a religious polarity that existed for generations, and so I could not comprehend what he was saying. At the time, I did not recognize that a whole new way of worshiping God was unfolding right in front of me in the presence of Jesus. Worship was no longer based in geographical location or religious affiliation, but on the intrinsic qualities of God himself. God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit. God is truth and must be worshipped in truth. God seeking worshippers who will worship this way, wherever they are, whoever they are, and whenever they are. 
as you've listened to my story today, what was Jesus' living water stirring up inside of you? Are there barriers in your world that make you feel like an outsider? Be encouraged. These are meaningless to Jesus. Perhaps one day we will learn to accept one another as easily as Jesus accepts each of us. Have you been trying to resolve polarities that exist in your world? Perhaps Jesus has an answer that transcends your usual way of thinking. I encourage you to follow these conversations where Jesus is leading you. And even if you don't understand them right now, in time, who knows what unexpected and astonishing things Jesus will reveal to you.